Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Hey, how good is it to be here? Um, We are starting a new series today called Think Again, and um, that's the Rembrandt's Prodigal. So it's a famous painting, and like I, it it hurts me to have to rush through the. I I, there's so much in this painting. There's so much in the Prodigal story that we're only going to touch like a little cursory overview of of what the depth of the story in scripture looks means and what this what this painting looks but if you're interested in a really good book I could thoroughly recommend Henry Nouwen or Henri Nouwen however you want to pronounce it I'm sure there's a proper way to pronounce it but his book The Return of the Prodigal Son so that's a bit of homework if you've got it really good book and he goes super into depth within this painting and all these kind of imageries like for instance um so there's the if you don't know the story, uh, just some of the characters. So there's the father there representing God. And on the father's hands, one is feminine, one is masculine to represent different aspects of um, what God is like. There's so much in the painting. Not going to be able to go fully in depth with that. But if you're after some reading, Return of the Prodigal Son. It's phenomenal. It'll make you cry or make you weep. Maybe make you laugh, depending how you're going in your, in your week, but really good, really good. There's a quote in it which um, punches me in the face every time I read it later in the sermon. So that's a bit of a Surprise. That's a bit of foreshadowing, um, to, use a, to use a literary term. The series Think Again. Um, I'm not sure who was there a few weeks ago. I preached on how the paradigm has changed uh, from, in terms of how people change from behave, believe, belong. Who was there? Was anyone there for that sermon? Cool. So in the past, um, so Jesus changed our lives, right? But in the past, as churches, we've approached it as, if you behave well, then you can start believing the right things. Then you'll belong here, Right which actually isn't how change and transformation works. And it's not actually the Jesus way, how he modeled it. To Jesus, you belong first, then you come to believe different things. And then out of that, your behavior flows. It's like CBT. It's like just counseling practice, all this kind of stuff. It actually lines up with so much good um, psychology and counseling practice. So the, the, the series Think Again, I've derived from the phrase metanoia which is Greek, which is think again or turn around. And metanoia, we've typically translated as repent. So when Jesus comes in Mark 1.15, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In some ways, we could consider it to be think again. The kingdom of God is at hand. If the kingdom of God is at hand, what do we need to think again about? Do we need to think about where we belong on this earth? Do we need to think about um, who we are and what we're doing? Do we need to think about what do our lives mean if the kingdom of God is at hand? So this series, Think Again, we're looking at belonging, beliefs, and then behaviors, how that's represented. And I've pulled the straw for this week talking about belonging, which I'm really excited about because I think belonging is the most important one of all of this, right? Life ultimately comes down to a few key questions. And one of them is, where do you find home? Like, and I think that's a key desire of all of us, right? We all, as people, have a deep need to feel like we belong. And to feel like we belong, we need to feel understood, to feel that we'd be missed, to feel that we have a certain sense of value, right? I find it interesting that um, most human emotions connect to either a feeling of being relationally connected in terms of our good emotions, if I'm going to use that phrase, good. Most of them are like joy or this is a byproduct of feeling connected or known or noticed by others. Most of our negative emotions are a consequence of feeling disconnected or unseen or um, like we don't belong. So I think belonging is this deep 
drive that's actually wired into our brains. And it makes sense. Human beings are very weak as individuals. Like we would lose to most predatory animals. Um, But together, we've been able to dominate the world, which I don't think is a good thing all the time, right? But like, I don't want to go up against the tiger. Neither do you, right? Like, as humans, we're weak as individuals, but as, as, I don't want to take this metaphor too far, but as a tribe, we can hunt all the tigers we want to. And we have. No. Um, No, I'm joking. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But we all have a deep need for belonging. It's wired into our, it's wired into us as people. We need to feel like we are part of something bigger. It's in our DNA. It's in our bones and our souls and spirits, right? Which is awesome. Where we belong deeply impacts our beliefs and behaviors. So um, I remember when I was in church as a young, as a young 14, 15-year-old, and I say this only as a story rather than like where I am right now, but I, um, they say that the, the five or six closest people shape who you are, and actually it shapes what a lot of your beliefs will be, right? I remember in church when I was young, growing up, and I know for myself, I was, was, a lot of the stuff I was hearing was good, like really good stuff, but then a lot of stuff I was like, did anyone believe this? Like, you know? But then in my brain, I was like, but everyone else seems to believe. Everyone else seems to be worshipping really loudly, so I guess I will as well. Only a few years later, be like, what if everyone else is thinking the exact same thing, and is only believing what they believe because they think that I'm believing what I believe, and there's just this massive group think, right? Like, and belonging is, like, belonging shapes that, right? Like, in some forms of belonging, they can be so conditional where if you stop believing in one or two things, it doesn't happen in Christian churches or anything, then you don't belong. You get kicked out, you get exiled, you're a heretic or something like that, right? Like, we do this. And it's not just, a, it's not just churches as well. It could be politics now. Um, it could be different ideologies, different political parties. We see it in some countries holding elections right now where belonging is so strong that if you don't vote for a certain political party, then you are the, the devil essentially to the other side. You are misunderstood. You're, you're outcast. Great band. But you're, you're cast out from that tribe because you don't believe the right things, right? Where we belong deeply impacts our beliefs and behaviors. And I'll go into this a little bit soon. And the other thing is in our Western world, this is unique. The Western world represents, what, 10 to 15% of the world's population? Maybe. But we live in quite an individualistic society uh, compared to more collectivist cultures around the world. For us, our belonging has become more conditional on individual and superficial performance than on deep relationship and connection. And as an example, if I'm to introduce you, I will go, or if I'm to introduce myself or vice versa in conversation, what do you do? What do you do is the first question. What's your name? What do you do? Whereas like most cultures, that would just be a foreign thing. It's like, my name's Tim. I'm the son of Alan and Nancy. I'm the husband of Zoe. I'm the father of a gin and Vogue with their cats and dogs. But like, it still counts. But you know what I mean? Most cultures, you'd introduce yourself in relationship to other people. You're relationally connected. In the West, it's what's your achievements? What are your likes? What are your, you know, which is like quite... I don't mean superficial in a bad way, but I'm just like, things change, right? Things change. And this makes belonging quite, uh, like, sketchy. We're, we don't stand on a sure foundation to use some worship music language um, where we need to stand on Jesus as a sure foundation, which we'll get to. But belonging has become a bit more superficial and a bit more temporary. It's not bad. It's not the end of the world. It just is. But I'd love if today we could find a deeper sense of belonging that has far roots that go far further down than when our other spaces of connection where we find our identity or purpose, when they change, that we are rooted in something far 
deeper than ourselves or our preferences or our occupations, because it usually is. It's either your profession is where you belong in the West. It could be a person, um, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and if they leave, then it's like, I don't know who I am anymore, you know? Or what's the other one? Oh, wait, another one. People, person. Ah, oh, it's three Ps. I'll get to it later on. Um, but belonging changes across your life, right? Um, as a baby, your key source of belonging is your mother. It's where you, and this is from developmental stuff. You, you connect to your mother. That's your sense of home, right? Then as you grow up into a child, it's your family unit. Then when you become a teenager, it often shifts from being family to peers. So you, you maybe you've experienced this. You're, as a teenager, you actively reject your traditional family belonging. Now you're associated with your peers and behavior changes, right? Um, a lot of the youth they used to work with, um, their peer group in a Christian school was all Christians, right? So when, as soon as they left that, say went to Otago, um, their belonging and beliefs had been held in that group. So as soon as they left that, they were plucked, one of them, out there, to a new system of belonging and halls. They lost all their beliefs. This may, not, this may not be that they necessarily didn't live them out originally or that it wasn't real. It's just they didn't hold them within themselves, Right, So you move suburbs, you move cities, you move jobs, you move friendship groups, and so much of what you believe or behave may subtly change without you ever realizing it because it's that underneath the surface. We want to fit in. We want to connect. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to belong. And then as young adults, parents, empty nesters, yeah, it changes. Like, it changes. Um, big thing is parents, when your kids leave home, you're an empty nester. Where do you belong? What do you do? What are you here for now? Right? It can be quite disruptive. Like... It's both young adulthood and empty nesters, I think, have two of the highest rates of people dropping out of faith and two of the highest rates of divorce in the sense of you've been held in these spaces where as a teenager, you're a student. So get good marks and you're a student. As a parent, you're a parent. Raise good kids, right? When you move out of those spaces of belonging, what do you do? What's my role if I'm no longer a student? What do I do on this earth? Or what's my role if I've been a parent for the last 20 years and haven't actually been part of something bigger than just raising my kids? These are big questions. Um, none of these ways we belong, we find belonging are inherently bad, but they tend to be superficial and temporary. And I don't mean that to demean it. I just mean I think there's something deeper. So how do we find a deep sense of home on this earth? And today we'll be looking at the story of the prodigal son, and I'll be using the message version because it reads a little more clearly, um, and I think it just provides a different way for our brain to engage with us. And I've been told I've got a monotone reading voice by my darling Zoe, so please just try and, try and follow on. Like, well, I shouldn't roast you, but um, it's a beautiful story. I would try offer some intonation and like inflections at different points, but we'll see. So bear with me on this one. The story of the lost son from Luke 15, 20 to 32. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Good. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. 
When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. Slow cook, probably. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, his oldest son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the house boys, he asked what was going on. And he told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast. Barbecued beef. Yes. Delicious. Short rib, brisket. Steak. Probably not Wagyu. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you in worship teams, preaching, leading in kids' church, being on welcoming, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then the son of yours who has thrown away your money on whores shows up and you'll go out all with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And within that story, there's about 8,000 different angles you can look at it. But there's three characters that I want to focus on here. And maybe you've heard this before, but I think it's a good reminder and it leads into the next story well. Because this is us, right? This story is a parable, so it's not literally true. It didn't happen. But as a parable, it always happens and it's always happening. And we always are one of the characters in the story. We're always multiple characters in the story in a different extent. Maybe they seem familiar to you as you read them out. There was the younger brother who was searching for love in all the wrong places and needed to turn around, who was after validation, who was after acceptance, who was after a sense of accomplishment, and he just couldn't find it. Maybe that's us in our careers. Maybe that's us um, vicariously trying to live through our children. Maybe that's us trying to vicariously live through our pets. Maybe that's us who... um, have gone away and who just have fulfilled every hedonistic dream and we just feel a little empty inside. That maybe we've climbed the top of the, the corporate ladder and, oh, was that worth the last 30 years of my life? You know, Where we've been, um, Thomas Merton says that we all climb the ladder of success only to find when we reach the top that perhaps it's been against the wrong wall. That's us. But the older brother was busy proving himself and forgot to look up. How many of us as well? I'm far more an older brother, you know. I'm far more an older brother. Just so busy. So busy, busy, busy. Just waiting to um, be able to take a week or two off a year to have a break. You know, work seven days. One day I'll be able to go for a hike or go for a walk. 
That's us as well. Jealous. Jealous when the younger brother turns around. We forget to look, look up. We can go through an entire year without living in gratitude or thankfulness. We can um, miss the joy of what is. And I think this is the, the, the strange thing. Like with our, with, our, with our world or our desire for, I guess, busyness or moreness, right? Like, how do you put it? They say the average, the, the in an American context, I think, once you earn over 70K a year, happiness doesn't increase at all. And if you do, like, it, it incrementally goes up only if you buy time for yourself, right? We can rush and forget the joys that have been, you know? We get this hosting quite a lot when we have people over for dinner, just so busy doing all the cooking and slow cooking and all that kind of stuff. And then everyone leaves. It's like, oh, I didn't really talk to anyone. I didn't get to talk to anyone. It's scary. It happens. And the father invites both of them to be home with open arms. That's the thing. Both are invited home. The old, younger brother brings excuses. I've been a sinner. I've been this kind of stuff. Da, 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 da. And he's welcomed in. His ex, the father stops his rant. And he's like, no, no, no. Come home. Come home. The older brother, we don't know if he comes inside. The father invites him inside and celebrates. We, but we don't know. We don't know. The father's inviting both of us to be home. He still is. He's, if you're searching in the wrong place, so to speak, if you feel you've been swept up and a lot of momentum gunning for something and you feel it's the wrong place, you're invited to turn around. You're invited to think again and maybe reorient your life in a way. But if you have found yourself being pr- busy proving yourself in comparison to others, forgetting to look up and enjoy a Sabbath, forgetting to take a day off, you're invited to just enjoy this life as well. God says this life isn't a problem to be solved, but it's a reality to be experienced. You're so busy problem solving that you don't get to enjoy a thing. Maybe there's an invitation for you to be welcomed home and just be here and be grateful that every breath is a gift, right? For most of my life, I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life. Pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. Now I wonder whether I've sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not, how am I to find God? But, how am I to let myself be found by Him? The question is not, how am I to know God? But, how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not, how am I to love God? But how am I to let myself be loved by God? God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. I was thinking about this this week. Because um, I'm familiar with the story of the lost son. Um, and when we become familiar with it, we often don't learn its lessons. Um, and we need an alternative perspective. So over this week I was thinking through, what could an alternative perspective teaching the depths of this story be? And I think it's this. Fenua. So Fenua means land. 
So in the Māori creation stories, there's two stories about uh, how the land comes. The first is Maui on his waka pulling up the stingray. That is the North Island and the South Island. The other one is the earth mother, Papa Tuanuku, who we can't see because she's under the waves. But when she gives birth, the land is her placenta. So in Māori, whenua means both land and placenta which I think captures the story in such an interesting way because we all leave the whenua of our mother. Our mother is always our first home. Our mother is where we come from, and at some point we leave. The invitation to discovering we're in the whenua of God, that we are still in the womb of God, that we are still in the home of God, that while we have left the whenua of our mother, we're still in the whenua of God, and we have to understand the small to comprehend the big. I think this is beautiful in the sense that um, there's an understanding that whenua, the placenta, is life-giving, nourishing. It's an ecosystem for well-being, right? And in the West, we often think of ourselves as separate to the environment. But it's not. We're still deeply in an ecosystem where what we do matters, that we impact our environment and our environment impacts us. We are all part of an interconnected reality. We are all part of a home, but just cut off from our umbilical cord, so to speak. In scriptures, God's presence moves from being in the small through the big. So uh, we see early in scriptures that God's presence is said to be in the tabernacle. There's the tablets, Ten Commandments. There's, and then it goes from the tabernacle. And then the tabernacle resides in the first temple in Jerusalem. So it moves from small to big to bigger. Then it moves-ish to the second temple. And then we see when Jesus uh, dies, the, the curtains ripped open where the God's Spirit was supposed to reside. The curtains ripped open and then moves out. And then we understand that actually God's Spirit resides in every person who is a child of God, who we then understand is perhaps that God's Spirit rests in every person who has the image of God in the Imago Dei, which is everyone. That God's presence is no longer in a stone box, but God's presence moves to be in every human being. Eventually, as we get to Revelation, we see that God's presence is all creation, that creation itself has always been the temple of God. Creation itself has always been the fenua of God and the home of God. It just takes us all some time to realize it. So my hope is that maybe we understand that we're all on this journey of leaving the fenua, leaving the home of our mother to understand that we are still home on this planet. We're still home on this earth, that this is the fenua of God. This is the home of God. This is the land of God. And wherever we are, whether we've left our cities, whether we've left our countries, we're still part of this home. We still belong here. That we belong to the Fenua. We belong to this earth. We belong to creation. This is our home. And maybe some of you have left your countries and found it difficult. But the soil here is still the same land as back where you're from. For us this year, just moving communities, 20 minutes, that's been a transition. But then it's understanding, actually, this is still the home of God. This is still, we're still just as home here as we were where we came from. We always belong. Any moment can be an invitation back to this home. Any moment. This morning, um, 
Jen, our dog, started yapping at 5.45. You know, and I'm not complaining because Calvin was, the other night was like, oh, I was up since 2 a.m. with the baby. I was like, wow, this is not inspiring to me. But um, no, we love little Harrison. But any, inv- any moment is an invitation. So 5.45, dogs yapping away. I don't want to get up. But walk downstairs, go let him out of his crate, let him outside. Then he's just doing his business. And I just look up. Stars in the sky. Like this, the sun is slightly, it's still behind. It's still an hour or two away, but you see the oranges and the reds start to come up on the horizon. Then I turned around and there's the full moon on the other way, the other side, right? Like that's an easy moment to be angry, to be pissed off, to be a bit ragey at. But it's also a moment to be invited that we're here. What else was I going to be doing? Just sleeping, having a sleep in? Who knows? When a, somebody annoys you, that's an invitation to be home. It's like, their annoyance doesn't define me. It's not an inconvenience. Every traffic light we have to stop, out, stop at is an invitation to be home because it forces us to stop being the older brother in a rush to prove ourselves. Every moment is an invitation to be here, to be home, to be grateful. We can all turn around. We can all look up. And we all have the opportunity to be more like the Father, welcoming others home. When we see others participating in this rushed way of being or this lost way of looking, we have the opportunity to be like, come home. We're already here. We're already here. There's a photo from Voyager as it was on its way out to Saturn. And the little dot in that ray of sunshine is Earth. That's our home. It said that every living being, every ideology, every faith tradition has resided on that little blue orb. I think when we see this as our home, that kind of helps us go a bit deeper than worrying about what our job is, worrying about. I still worry about the All Blacks, but we'll be fine. It's good to be here. It's good to be home. And my hope and prayer is that as we go about today, that you would look up, whether it's at the night sky, whether it's at the blue or the overcast, whatever it is, we're already here. There's nowhere else to be. That maybe God has created this beautiful planet for us to take part in. Maybe... He, as a creator, has put his image in us also as creators. So our movement is not from proving, but it's to creating. That maybe we could partner with God as we go out. How can I bring something new into this world? How can I create something beautiful? How can I add to this story? Welcome home. Father, we give thanks that you are a God who is always inviting us to be home, who is always inviting us to be here. And truth be told, I don't know why we have this urge to keep searching for more. I don't know why we have this urge to keep proving ourselves. But I give thanks that ultimately your heart is to remind us that we are here, that we are loved by you, that we are liked by you, that we are already home. Can you help us 
respect and honor and appreciate with gratitude what jobs we have, what families we have, what situations we're in. But can you help us find our deep sense of belonging and home here in you? Paul says in Acts that in you we live and move and have our being. As we go about a week, I pray too that we would remember that you're just as present in the checkout at New World as you are in a worship song on a Sunday. You help us rest in you. In your beautiful and mighty name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.